kids had a phenomenal time. Matter of fact, they are not with us right now. They are enjoying a little bit of fresh air. Brother Craig, we got the, the chair set up for them out in the shade out there. And they're doing their last lesson for VBS. And uh, this morning, they'll be getting some prizes as well. So uh, John chapter 1, John chapter 1, and uh, going to start in verse number 10. John chapter 1 in verse number 10. All right, why don't we do this? Why don't you guys stand with me for just a couple of moments, and you'll be sitting for the next 40 minutes or so. Uh, so if you want to stretch your legs a little bit, take advantage of that. John chapter 1, uh, look if you would at verse number 10. He was in the world. Who, who was in the world? The true light, Jesus Christ. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. What a, what a thing to, to see about the creator of, of the universe. He comes to his own, his own receives him not. By the way, any of you that have tried to minister to your family, you know what you're going to find out very quickly? They're the hardest people to reach. Uh, the Bible says a prophet is not without honor. That's a double negative there. A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, meaning everywhere a prophet goes, he has honor except with his own people. And so the Bible says he came into his own, and his own received him not. But I'm really glad for verse number 12. I'm glad for that word but right there, aren't you? But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, we ask for your blessing this morning. Thank you so much for the Sunday School Hour, Lord, the opportunity to uh, dive, dive a little bit deeper, Lord, to dig a little bit deeper in the Bible. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless it. Uh, Lord, we're learning about the Holy Spirit on Wednesday nights and His ministry in our lives. Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would lead us this morning. Uh, Lord, you promised to give Him to us, Lord, to lead and to guide us in all truth. And we, we claim that promise this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd be with the kids out there. Let them uh, enjoy uh, what they're doing this morning. Let them just continue to get grounded in the Word of God. Uh, and Lord, I pray that you would do something in the midst of us today that only you can do. Stir hearts, enlighten. Lord, I pray that you would move. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Be seated if you would. Uh, right there in verse number 10, I want to call your attention to the fact that Jesus Christ was in the world. And uh, clearly the world was made by him. All right, And yet the, the Bible says the world knew him not. So in so many words, I'll say it like this, he was in the world, but he was not of the world, all right? And, and I think it's important to understand that that's the same position that you're supposed to take as a child of God. You're, you are in this world, and, and clearly the Bible says the world was made by him. Now, the word world in your Bible is used in different ways depending on the context. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know the verse really well, but just turn over a little bit to the, to the right and go to John chapter 3. And I know some of you can quote the verse. That's, that's great. I appreciate that. It's a good verse to be able to memorize and, and, uh, and quote. But look at John 3. Look at verse 16. The Bible says, For God so loved the Now, people say all the time there's contradictions in the Bible. And I say, no, there's not. Uh, but there are apparent contradictions in your Bible, all right? Uh, for example, if God loved something, and the Bible says God so loved the world, that means you should do it as well, right? Are you guys with me this morning? Does anyone need a, an IV of coffee this morning? Anybody besides me, all right? All right, look at 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, 
And, and what I'm trying to show you is that the, while the Bible does not contradict itself, all right, if you take verses out of context, you can walk away saying that the Bible does. When, when really, in context, it doesn't. All right, but look at 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to come back to this in a little bit. And look, if you would, at uh, verse number 15. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 15. Keeping in mind what you just read about the nature of God and what God did and how he expressed his love toward the world. All right, look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the No, that just doesn't seem right, does it? At least not on the surface. If God loved the world, then he turns around and tells you, no, don't do what I just did. Now, the reason why is because of this. You need to understand that the world, the term world is used in different ways at different times in your Bible. Let's finish the verse, then we'll explain what we mean. Uh, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. This is not of the Father, but is of the what? All right, so, so what you have to understand is this. Sometimes in your Bible, the word world is a reference to the people that are in it. The souls of mankind. For God so loved the world. All right? And other times, it's a reference to the system, uh, the philosophy Or you might even say, as Galatians describes it, we'll look at this in a moment, this present evil world. we got a mouse sneezing in here. Wherever that mouse is, we got to get it out. Um, But uh, anyways, it's a reference to the system or uh, the evil nature of this world. So when he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, that's not a reference to people as it was in John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 2 is talking about the nature of the system in which we live right now. The world system, the philosophy, the, the, uh, the, the, the nature of sin that is found in this world. The appeal, the draw that the world has to your flesh, right? And, and the Bible describes for us how it's going to appeal to all of us in these three categories. We're going to come back and look at that in just a moment. Uh, but look at Galatians chapter 1 real quickly. Galatians chapter 1 talking about the world in which we live right now. Now, now remember this. Remember this. Uh, the Bible says of Jesus Christ's kingdom, my kingdom is not now of this world. All right? He says that because later on, right, at some point, his kingdom will be in this world and it will be ruling the world. All right? But as of right now, the kingdom that he has given us is a spiritual kingdom. The Bible calls that the kingdom of God. Later, we look for the kingdom of heaven. Brother Mark, it is good to see you, man. I was missing. I was like, he didn't move already, did he? It's good to see you. Good morning. Amen. Uh, The kingdom of heaven is a literal physical kingdom with Jesus Christ ruling on the earth. All right? So his kingdom is not now of this world. But look at Ephesians, uh, sorry, Galatians chapter 1. Galatians 1, one of those Pauline epistles. You get it right eventually. Uh, Galatians 1, look if you would at verse number 4. And it says this, who gave himself for our sins, talking about Christ, that he might deliver us from this, what are the next three words? Present evil world. world. All right, so the world that is right now, not the one that is to come, that we would maybe describe as the rulership of Jesus Christ, and, and beyond that, into what the Bible calls the new heavens and the new earth. But right now, the world that is, it is evil. It is an evil world. That's why when you look out at what's going on in the world, you should not be shocked as a child of God. 
you should recognize that the Bible, listen, back when Paul wrote this nearly 2,000 years ago, he called it a present evil world back then. Now, we look at what, what the world is doing right now, we go, it's never been this bad. It was evil back then, and it's evil now. You might make the argument, you might make the argument that because of the rise of the uh, publishing and the preaching of the gospel in all the world that we experience in the 16 and 17 and 1800s, what you saw is you saw civilizations built up and you saw the coming of the first world. What I mean by that is you got third world countries, second world countries, first world. You saw the industrial revolution, all that. You say, what, what kicked all of that off? It was the Bible going out and enlightening societies. All right, that is what paved the way to where we're at, the, 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 uh, the, the, the blessings, if you will, of living in a first world society. What happens is this, when the first world society, Romans chapter 1, takes everything they have for granted and kicks God out of the picture, then it starts spinning out of control and going down back the other way. So you're looking at it going, it's never been this bad, and Paul is saying way back then, it was present and it was evil back then. And what you need to understand is this, Christian, listen to me, you are in this world, but you are not of this world. Jesus Christ was here, he was in this world, but the world knew him not. Now when it says it knew him not, it doesn't mean that that there was not an intellectual knowledge of Jesus. There were those who saw Jesus during his earthly ministry and they said, yep, I know that man. But, But saying that I knew him in the sense of an intellectual mindset versus I know him intimately are two different things, all right? When we say, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, Joe? And he says, yes, I do. That is not an intellectual thing. That is an intimate heart matter. That is him having received Jesus Christ as his Savior. You need to understand, listen, when you talk to someone about Jesus, they go, oh, I know about Jesus. Yeah, I believe in him. That, That doesn't necessarily make someone saved. All right, because an intellectual knowledge of who Jesus... Uh, let, me, let, me go, let me run it by this way. The devils believe that there is one God, and they tremble, James. So if, if intellectual knowledge was all it was... How about this one, guys? When Jesus shows up, what do the, de- the devils and the demons say? We know who thou art, the Christ of God. That's what the satanic demon said to Jesus Christ when he showed up. They had an intellectual knowledge of him, but it was not an intimate matter of the heart. Those are two different things. Look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. The world knew him not. Why? Because he's not of this world. And the closer you get to Jesus Christ, listen to me, the more you live like him, the more you talk like him, the more you act like him, the more you live like him, the less they're going to, quote unquote, know you. It doesn't mean they won't know you're physically there. It means that they will not want to associate with you because you don't line up with their values. And when you as a Christian find friendship easier in the world than in the church, check yourself. All right? Let me say it this way for those from the 90s. Chiggity check yourself, all right? All right, so make sure, I'm identifying somebody right now with a smile on your face, all right? This poor sister from South Africa is going, what is going on right now? Uh, but, but what I'm getting at is this. You need to step back when you say those people, talking about church people. When that happens in your heart, you need to go, wait, what's going on? Why, why, am I, why, why do I sound like that? And why is it that I get along better with my friends at work than I do my brothers and sisters in Christ? It's not because you're not saved necessarily. It's because you're saved, but you're, you're, you're basically living as if you were of the world. This world, as the old song goes, is not your home. 
and your birth, your supernatural birth, came from up there. And so you're going back there. You are not of this world. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're, we're talking about an understanding of the word to know. Uh, uh, the Bible says over there about Mary, uh, when she was a virgin, that she did not know a man. Now, we've we got teenagers in here. We'll be careful about how I say this. But you guys understand that doesn't mean she never looked at a man her whole life, right? She had a dad. You understand that, right? And so she knew men. She knew people of the opposite sex. But, but she did not know a man in an intimate fashion. Are you with me? All right. So, so that's how the Bible uses the word know sometimes. It is in an intimate fashion. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And that intimate fashion could be in a physical sense, as it is mentioning uh, Mary and Matthew. Or it could be in a spiritual sense. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And look, if you would, at verse, uh, I'm in chapter 3, that's not right, uh, chapter 2, verse number uh, 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, there it is right there. Because when you got saved, you got a different spirit. So you, if your spirit aligns with the spirit of the world, that doesn't necessarily mean you're not saved. It just means you're walking in the flesh and you're following the things that appeal to your fleshly nature that are found in the world. We're going to look at those things in a moment. Uh, but look at verse 12 again. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might, what's the next word? No, that we might know. And this is not just an intellectual situation here, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. How do we know this is a spiritual transaction? Look at verse 13. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Look at verse 14. But the ne- By the way, verse 13, that's the reason why when we are in Bible study, I don't take you to Kenneth Weiss, you know, commentary, and I don't take you to Matthew Henry's commentary. I'm not saying they're all bad, but guys, me telling you what another guy said about the Bible versus just looking at the verses in the Bible is not the same thing. All right. When you do that, and I'm not saying commentaries are bad. I, I read commentaries, nothing bad with that. But you're, re, you're reading the regurgitation of what someone else got from their own Bible study. And at some point in time, it's good for you to look at all the verses. And the reason we go from this verse to this verse to this verse is because that's how you compare the spiritually inspired words of God with the spiritually inspired words of God so you can, K-N-O-W, know the things of God. Now, now look what this is about uh, uh, the natural man. Someone that's lost uh, in verse 14. But the natural man, look at this. I want you to underline this, this word. Because we're going to come back to this in, in John chapter 1. Because there is a connection between the word receive and the word know in an intimate fashion. All right? But the natural man receiveth not the things of the, of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he what? He can't know them. Well, a lost man can literally hear the facts of the gospel, and still it does nothing for him at all. Do you know that? A person could go, listen, the devils know this. Jesus Christ lived in the flesh. He was God in the flesh. Uh, He lived a sinless life. He died. He was buried. He died for sins. He was buried. He rose again, and he could be lost and going to hell without Jesus Christ. Now, how can that happen? Because the intellectual side of this has to be engaged, but it's not where it ends. Someone has to go, I acknowledge that, and furthermore, I bow my will 
to the instruction given to me of God in regards to how I'm going to be saved. I submit my righteousness to the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. I no longer am going to count on my own righteousness. Now I'm going to receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask him for his righteousness. And when someone does that, that moves from here to here. And let me say this as well. One of the most dangerous things you could do as a Christian is know, K-N-O-W, intellectually what God wants you to do and not know intimately what God wants you to do. See what I mean by that? God can show you exactly what you need to do in your life, the habits that need to change, the things that need to be brought into your life, the things you need to let go of, the relationships that need to be severed, the relationships that need to be built. And you can look at that and go, yep, I know that. And do nothing with it. And that's a dangerous thing. All right? Uh, I want you to notice here, the natural man can't get this. He can't know them because these things are spiritually assured. Why can't the natural man get that? Because the natural man, listen to me, is of this world. All right? And he's of his father. All right? I'm going to show you some things about that in just a moment. All right? Go to 1 John chapter 2, though. I want to show you something real quickly here. 1 John chapter 2. When it says all that is in the world, and the world knew him not, right? The world didn't know him. They, they, they did not receive him, if you will. The reason that the world doesn't receive him, and when I, I say that, I mean in, in the sense of, of acknowledging that Jesus Christ is not just who he is, uh, the Son of God intellectually, but accepting him, the reason they don't, won't do that is because of these three things. And the reason that you get caught up in sin is because of these three, thing, th- these three things. And we're going to notice here in a little bit that the reason that Adam and Eve did what they did was because of these three things. All right? So the nature of Jesus Christ, listen to me, is contrary to the nature of the world. When you're in fellowship with Jesus Christ, those things will not have the same appeal. You will be able to resist those things in a way that you won't when you're not in fellowship with Jesus Christ. All right, look at 1 John chapter 2, and we've already read some of this, uh, but I want you to see again the three elements that you'll find. These are the three, uh, I would say, temptations or the three elements of sin that you find in the world today. Hasn't changed. Guys, hasn't changed since the Garden of Eden. It's been the same. All right, just dressed up in different packages. That's all it is. Uh, Look at uh, uh, verse number uh, 16. For all that is in the world, number one, the lust of the flesh, Number two, the lust of the eyes. And boy, those two things combined can make a real mess. And lastly, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. You need to ask yourself uh, the entertainment, the things I listen to, the things that I dwell on, the things that I enjoy, the things that I embrace. uh, are are, Are they things that please the Father or are they things that line up with the elements of the world? Now, easier, easier to, to, to look at where someone else might be wrong in these areas than to look in the mirror and go, okay, let's do some inventory. Uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You say, well, how does this line up with the first temptation? Well, before I get to that, look at verse 17. You realize every temptation you have at some point, it's going to be all gone. And you're going to wish so badly you spent more, more of your life living for Jesus Christ. You know why? Because the world passes away. And as it says in Corinthians, the fashion of this world passeth away. I mean, let's just talk about the last couple decades. 
I mean, the things I remember, I remember distinctly saying to my wife about 10 years ago, you know, one thing that I remember uh, seeing these fashion trends that came back from the, you know, they came back from the 70s. It's like the fourth time bell bottoms are back, by the way. All right. The, 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 you know, the, the, there's the 70s that came back and then the 80s came back and the 90s came back as well. And I thought that would all the bright colors that, that you know, r- define the 80s and 90s. And, and then I remember distinctly telling my wife about 10 years ago, you know, one thing that'll never come back, the mullet. Have you looked around lately? People are starting to do it again. I'm going, we must be in the tribulation, Lord. I know it. Uh, because you just look at there's no way that's ever going to come back, right? But the fashion, this well, now listen, you know what's going to happen? We're going to find some new thing. We're going to wear it out. We'll get old with that. We'll try some other new thing. We'll wear that out. We'll try something else out. Why? Because the fashion of this world passeth away. And this world is going to pass away. And everything in it is going to pass away. And those elements are going to pass away because there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth with no sin forever and ever. But until then, look what it says, the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth, not just knows. You get that? He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, look at those three elements again and go to Genesis chapter number three. Genesis chapter three. I'm trying to get you to understand a principle in the Bible, which is that... uh, Sometimes the word no is not just an intellectual thing, but rather it's a, it's a matter of action, and it's intimate, it's from the heart, all right? Uh, Genesis chapter 3, and uh, if you would look at maybe somewhere, Brother Joe, uh, somewhere verse 2, verse 3, where the devil uh, uh, presents to her the, the fruit, and it says it was uh, good for, pleasant to the eyes and good for food. Where is that at? Verse 6. All right, would you, would you read that for us real quick, brother? Nice and loud. All right, stop one second. He said it was good for food. You say, what is that? Lust of the flesh. It was pleasant to the eyes. Is that what it says? All right, lust of the eyes. And what was that last one? It was one to be desired to make one what? And you know what he said to her? Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You say, what is that? Oh, that's the pride of life. I deserve it. God's keeping something back from me. I want it. I can take it. Why not? I can be like God. I can know good and evil. You say, what is that? These are the three elements that tripped up Eve. And, and really, ultimately, as the Bible says, Eve was deceived in the transgression. Adam was not. Adam knew exactly what he was doing. All right. And these three uh, sins, these are the things that you find in the world from the Garden of Eden till five minutes before church when you walked in. Right. And maybe even during this service. You say, why? All right, you ever hear some preaching going on during church, and you go, yeah, brother so-and-so needs this. You say, what's that? That's the pride of life. Every area of your life where you're going to get messed up, it falls under these three categories. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Uh, Look at Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Now, do you know what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 calls Jesus Christ? It calls him the last Adam. All right? The first Adam was uh, uh, brought death. But the last Adam was made a quickening spirit and brought life. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15. So there's a contrast given between the first Adam and the last Adam, Jesus Christ. Now, think about this. The first Adam, uh, uh, what he did is he ended up giving into sin with his wife, and they died together. 
The last Adam, Jesus Christ, rejected sin, and by rejecting sin, gave life unto his bride, the, the church. And you say, what is that? That's the contrast between the first Adam and the last Adam. Well, listen, if the first Adam was found in a garden and was tempted, the last Adam also had to be tempted as well. And by the way, can I remind you that Jesus Christ, that last temptation that he faced was in a garden where he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, where he was tempted to have that cup passed from him. Look at Matthew 4. And in Matthew 4, you say, where is it? This is before all of that. This is before he begins his public ministry. In chapter 3, he's baptized. And in chapter 4, right after that, he's proven and he's tempted and tried. You say, what is that a picture of? Well, if you're ever going to help other people, all right, you're going to have to take some things. Uh, you have to understand you're going to be tried before you can help anybody else. Because you can't minister to other people if you've not been tried. Jesus Christ learned, the Bible says in Hebrews, as a son, this is where it blows our mind. He is the eternal God. Without him was not anything made that was made. And yet when he came in the flesh, he had to, as the Bible says, Hebrews, as a son, he had to learn obedience. He had to go, well, this is what my father wants, but man, this sounds a whole lot easier. Uh, Look at Matthew chapter 4, and look, if you would, at verse number 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came, by the way, that's the devil's job in your life. He's to be the tempter and then the accuser. He draws you in, and once you're there, he goes to God, and he goes, you see what they're doing? Anybody ever have an older brother or older sibling like that? All right? And you, the older you got, you're like, man, I, I fell for that way too many times. That is what the devil wants to do in your life. He wants to draw you in, and once you're drawn in, he wants to accuse you to the Father. Now, look what he does here. When the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now, let me ask you a question. Why do you suppose he starts off with that one? He's hungry. He's hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. So the first thing right off the bat, you know what it is? The lust of the flesh. Do you see that? Now, Jesus responds with Scripture. We understand that. Man shall not live by bread alone, verse 4. But then look at verse 5. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. You say, what is this one? The pride of life. Don't you know who you are, Jesus? You're important. The Lord wouldn't let you fall down. All you got to do is throw yourself down, and then the angels will pick you up. You know what the Lord is dealing with? He's dealing with the lust of the flesh right off the bat, and then the pride of life right after that. You say, what happens after this? Well, he takes him up. Uh, look, if you would, at verse 8, in, a, into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and say to them, all these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. You say, what is that? The lust of the eyes. Let me show you everything. And the Bible says, I think, I think it may be in Luke, where it says in a moment's time, the devil did all this. That's a lot of power. Uh, he shows them all the kingdoms of, this, of the world in one moment's time. And Jesus sees all that. And he goes, that is actually going to be mine, but I could have it right now. One of the biggest problems you're going to have as a Christian is knowing what God wants for your life, but being patient and waiting for it. And God's showing you, some, some, I've watched this more than once. It's, it's one of the most tragic things to know what the will of God is, know that this is where God wants you to go. But to take a shortcut to get there, and by doing that, you bypass the process in which God is going to make you ready for what's coming. And when you bypass that process, you can make a mess of everything. 
Several examples of that in Scripture. Let me just take something that I want right now. Well, God wants that for you. By the way, can I point this out for you? Uh, there were uh, two things, these two elements right here. Those two things right there, when you read, Gen- you don't have to go there right now, but in Genesis 2, when God describes the tree and the trees of that garden, all the trees in that garden, all of them, all of them, they were pleasant to the eyes and they were good for food. But there's one element that he did not include with the other trees. Pride. This was the, this was the deal right here that messed everything up. You know what the original sin is? Isaiah 14, I will be like the Most High. I will ascend to the sides of the north. I will sit upon the throne. I will, I will, I will. You ever listen to a lot of rap music? Anybody, some of you are like, no. <laughs> All right, Steve's like, no, nope, never. <laughs> All right, fine. Well, if you understand pop culture, and it's not just rap, it's different. It's, it's just music today. So much of it is, I am invincible. Da, 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 da. I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. Where is that coming from? You say, where is it? It's from the world. You got to be careful with it. You got to watch out. You say, why? Because these two things, God, you know, God put those trees in the garden and he put those things there to appeal to our nature. And this in and of itself wasn't all bad. But man, once this entered the picture, man, Katie barred the door. Because once pride enters the picture, all that you are going after is, if, you're, if this is it, if this is what's driving your life, then you know what? You think to yourself, if it looks good, I want it. If it appeals to my flesh, I deserve it. Pride. And then you find yourself in a mess, just like Adam did. You know what Jesus Christ did? He overcame what Adam didn't. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews, he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. You know why the, the Bible says he was in the world and the world knew him not and the world received him not? You know why that is? Because he did the opposite of what everybody else in the world does. And they look at this man, and they did not understand his nature. And the only way you understand the nature of Jesus Christ is to be born again. When you look as a lost person, listen, how in the world is it that you have today such vitriol, such hatred, if you will, against a sinless man who went around doing good and helping others? Does it make any sense to you? Except for it is a different spirit that is in the children, as the Bible says in Ephesians. Look at Ephesians 2 real quickly. The Bible says, before you were saved, you were a child of disobedience. All right? Look at Ephesians chapter 2. And you were in Adam. And the Bible says, in Adam all die. And there's a different spirit when you're in Adam versus the spirit that you get when you're in Christ. Look at Ephesians 2 and look, if you would, at verse 1. And by the way, let me just say this. If you are a believer and you're trying to reach family and friends... And, and you just don't seem to understand why they don't like everything you're talking about, this is why. You can't afford to take it personally. It's not that they hate you. It's not about that. It's about the spirit that's inside of them and your spirit that's inside of you. The Holy Spirit of God rubs them the wrong way until they're willing to submit to him. And, and instead of you taking it personally and going, well, I'm just not going to witness to them anymore. I'm not going to be a good, I, I won't talk about Jesus anymore. Just, just don't take it personally and understand it. It's the spiritual transaction that's going on. By the way, I'll tell you what, I've, I've experienced this in preaching. I'll be preaching, everything's just fine. I mentioned a certain thing. Maybe it's about, I don't know, submission or authority. And all of a sudden you can just see. 
You know why that is? Because there's something inside of you that goes, I don't like that. The Spirit of God wants that in my life, but my flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the, of the, uh, of the flesh, and the pride of life, that does not appeal to me at all. <laughs> and so the spirit of disobedience is at work. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 in uh, verse number 1. And you hath he quickened, that's a, a, a way of saying he made you alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's where you were. Aren't you glad you're not still there? All right, when he says you were dead, that's not talking about your body. Uh, it's not talking about your soul. The death of the soul is in the lake of fire. That's talking about your spirit, Romans chapter 7. Now look at verse 2. Where and in time past you walked according to the course of what? Now watch. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of what? So, so when he talks about all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, when he's talking about all that, what he's really talking about is this. It's the spirit that's in the world. And a matter of fact, what uh, the author of uh, the Gospel of John, and over there in 1 John chapter 4, he calls it the spirit of Antichrist. And it's already at work. And what you have to understand is this. Every time you step out there, especially if you go unarmed and you have not been in fellowship with the Lord before you step out in the world, you are vulnerable. And all that stuff that's out there, it's calling your name and it's got a package just for you and it has a way to appeal to you. It'll do, you. You'd be surprised at how quickly, listen, I've said this before, take me out of my Bible and take me out of church for 30 days. You will not like who I am. Some of you will wonder if I'm even saved. I know you, may, you may think, oh, you're just being exaggerative. I don't think you understand the, the power and the pull of this world. I can tell you this much. If I took myself out of church and out of that book for 30 days, I, I would not. My family would say, we don't want you here. Now, they, they'd be hopefully more gracious than that, but I, I can tell you this. That's what they would feel. You, you don't feel that right now, do you? Okay, all right. Just, <laughs> Kind of, kind of looking at me over here. I'm just making sure. Uh, but you, you understand that, that what I'm getting at is this. The spirit of, the, of this world is constantly pulling. And, and here's, what the church, here's what Christians do. They put the world at an arm's length. But the world's always moving. And so here we are in 2022 as believers accepting things that lost people would not accept 50 years ago. Why? Because, I, I mean, I'm same distance. Yeah, but you don't realize you're moving with the world. And your course is supposed to be different. I, I know this may not be the most uh, 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 appealing conversation, but ladies, you know what the Bible says about modesty? Summertime, you get out there, boy, it's flesh everywhere. Shouldn't be the case with a Christian. I didn't tell you what your standard ought to be. Don't, don't walk in and go, pastor's a legalist. He's trying to put me under bondage. He's trying to, uh, no, I, you, you pray about it and ask the Lord, what, what do you, but I can tell you this much, there are some things that are black and white in the Bible. Amen. I don't have to make them up. The Bible says of a man, his thigh was his nakedness. Okay, good preaching, preacher, good on. <laughs> do, do you understand though, oftentimes you allow the world to dictate to you what's okay and what's not. Uh, uh, let's let's throw this one out there. How do you behave with the opposite sex? If you're not married to that person, you may be real careful with that because the world says it's no big deal and God says, watch it. And you understand what's going on. The world's pulling and the world pulls that way and you don't realize it. And then you look up and go, man, 
How did I get here? I'll tell you how you got here. You cared more about what the world said about something than what God said about it. You are in this world, but you are not of this world. Uh, Look at John chapter number one. Go back to John chapter one. Does that make sense? All right. Some of you are like, yeah, just keep, just move on from all the fashion stuff and leave that alone, Pastor. Um, let, let me just say this much. Uh, women, I, and I mean this sincerely, I don't, I'm not trying to put a burden on you, and I'm not trying to you know, bash you over the head, um, but I've got teenage daughters that look up to you. And we've got teenage girls that watch how you ladies behave. They watch how you dress. Uh, you, you older guys in here, these young men, watch how you talk to your wives. These young ladies, watch how you talk to your husbands. Let me ask you a question. Does it line up with the word of God or does it line up with the world? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because you've got an audience whether you realize it or not. And, and listen, there's an old saying, it goes like this, more is caught than is taught. I could, I could preach everything that's right from the pulpit and then as soon as we have break time, you're yelling at your spouse you know, and, and uh, you're seeing how far you can get away with pulling it up this way, and the girls are watching that, and, and all that stuff goes on, and you know what they'll say? They'll say, well, I don't get what the big deal is. Sister so-and-so does it. <laughs> now, you go, Pastor, can you please move on? I will in just a moment, but I want you to understand. I'm parking here for a moment for a reason. I want you to understand. You need to check and look in your life and go, okay, how much of my life is being driven by what the world says? here's another one and look you have the autonomy and the liberty and the freedom as adults thank god for america all right america freedom all right you you have all of that to raise your kids as you see fit but can i ask you a question the world says uh it's wrong to let's just say uh 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 use the uh board of education on the seat of knowledge how about that are you following me? The world says that, um, and we're not advocating abuse. But let me ask you, what does the Bible say? Amen. Oh, you, you got, we got wiser in the last century than God? Right. You got smarter than God on that in the last century? You think you're that? Really? Have you, looked at, have you looked at what's happening in society? You don't think any of that has to do with how we're raising kids? Right. Now, now look, you may go, well, Pastor, I'm not for abuse. Hey, ask my kids what we believe about that. If I met someone abused kids, I'd probably punch them in the face. Amen. You better pray someone holds me back if I know something. And by the way, I won't go into that. I'll just say this. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not for abuse. I think it's wicked. It's wrong. But let me ask you this question real quick. You, be, you that don't believe in following the biblical plan for training your children, you know what you will do? You'll yell at your kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know how I know that? Because I watch you out in pu- Not you, but I watch the world out in public. And they'll yell at them, and they'll almost say, almost like, to me, it's a, that's more abusive than sitting a child down and going, you know what you did was wrong. You know it was sin, don't you? Yeah, yeah. And you know what's coming, don't you? Yeah. Is daddy angry right now? No. But daddy's going to do something because the Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And you know what? We're going to do this because it's the right thing. And afterwards, we're going to pray and ask God to forgive you and help you get victory over this in your life. And dad's going to help you as well. What is abusive about that? Nothing. But the world's convinced you it is. and, And listen, again, you have the autonomy to do whatever you want. But I'm telling you right now, doing something that the world says to do, putting your kid in their room by themselves in isolation, 
because you are upset with what they did. What that teaches the child is that when I'm angry with someone because they did something I didn't want them to do, I shut them out of my life. I sure am glad God doesn't deal with me that way. You know what it takes a little bit more work for you parents to do? To sit them down and take time out of your day, put your stinking phone down, look at them in the eye and say, here's what you did wrong. It's against the Bible. Here's what the Bible says. We're going to correct it together. Let's pray afterwards. But you know what? The world goes, well, that, that's old-fashioned. Maybe, but air is old-fashioned and you still like to breathe. Now, here's the question. What are you, what are you using to determine how you raise your kids? How you have a marriage? I, I, I read some article recently where people are talking about open marriages. Let me just say right now, if you have an open marriage, you don't have a marriage. That's right. And if you want to live that kind of lifestyle, don't get married. <laughs> All right? Because the purpose of marriage is exactly the opposite. It is closed off to the rest of the world. This is about me and her under God. Right? You say, what is it? That's the world. But the Christians accepting that stuff and saying it's okay? No, you, you need to at some point go, am I being driven by the world or by God himself? Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And we can put that, Caleb, under uh, least popular uh, sermons in America today. You want to <laughs> put that title up there, all right? Uh, look at verse number 11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. All right? Now, uh, some people say that's creation. His own creation didn't receive him. You can make that application. Um, but I think there's something else going on there in reference to the nation of Israel uh, because he says salvation is of the Jews. And when he first went, he tells his disciples, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so his own, his own nation did not receive him. But look what he says, and that's as a whole. There are Jews that still get saved today. This does not mean that every Jew is lost, just like it doesn't mean every Jew is saved. All right, but look at verse 12. But as many as received him, that is you. Amen. thank God for that. As many, Jew, Gentile, black, white, man, woman, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. We talked about the nature of Jesus Christ, and we haven't quite gotten all the way to the word was made flesh. We'll get to that uh, maybe uh, next Sunday. But we talked about the fact that he didn't fit in this world because his nature was contrary to the world. Like you shouldn't fit in this world because your nature, now that you're saved, if you're in fellowship with God, should be contrary to that of the world. All right, but, but now we're kind of looking at, okay, how did you get there? Well, the, re- the reason you got there, the reason you can be different, the reason you, your spirit is different is because of what it says in verse number 12 and what it says in verse number 13, talking about the new birth. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I want to stress this idea. God is a God of free will. And, um, and I'll tell you what, free will has consequences. And I've talked to people before, and they say, why is all this evil in the world, you know? And, and uh, well, the answer is real simple, because God doesn't make you do the right thing. That's it. Now, here's what I've learned with people. That, that answer is not sufficient, because if someone's heart isn't right with God, you know what they'll say? Uh, if God had fixed it the other way, they'd say, well, God's a, making me a robot, and he's forcing me to do the right thing. If your heart's not right with God, you'll, you'll always think God is wrong, right? But God does give us a free will as many as received him, all right? Now, in the next verse, there, there might be in some people's mind this apparent contradiction because in verse 13, it says, which were born not of the will of what? The flesh, all right? So people, some will take that to mean, well, that means you have no will in it. God just makes you get saved. 
Well, clearly, verse 12 and verse 13 are not contradicting each other because it was you being willing to receive him that allowed you to become a son of God. However, in verse 13, you know what it's saying? You could not save yourself. It is not of the will of the flesh. Look at, I know you guys, some of you haven't memorized, but look at Ephesians chapter 2 real quickly. And then I want to go through, uh, through some verses in Exodus since we've been there. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 8, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that, what does it say? Not of yourselves, right? Why does it say that? Because you could not, in and of yourself, save yourself. You could not, of your own will, go, I am going to bring about the new birth on my own apart from God. You could not do that. The flesh doesn't have power, not of yourselves, right? And then it goes on to say, not of works, lest any man should boast. Next verse. So what you need to understand is this. When it says, not of the will of flesh, that doesn't mean that you didn't decide whether you accept or reject Jesus Christ. Because verse 12 already implies, it's already covered the fact that you had to receive him. If it's a matter of God imposing his will on you, there's no reception at all. You're just a zombie. You're just a channel of what God wants. And when you get to glory, the reason why it's going to be glorious is because God's going to look at all of his redeemed creation and go, they chose me. And because they chose me, I have chosen them. All right. Now, look at Exodus with me. I want you to see something because many, many years ago it was a Sunday school hour. And I think I think I talked about this recently with Brother James. And uh, someone came in and asked a question about this very thing. And they said, well, didn't, Pharaoh, didn't God harden Pharaoh's heart? In other words, didn't God make Pharaoh do what he did? Well, yes and no. Uh, the thing you've got to be careful of as a Christian is cherry-picking one passage of Scripture and not paying attention to everything that comes before it. All right? So, so let's do this. Look at Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10. You know what this means? The Holy Spirit will move on the, uh, and convict a lost sinner of their need of Jesus Christ. Then it's up to that sinner to go, I'm going to look into this. I'm going to yield to that, that leading. I'm going to uh, submit myself to that. All right. If they don't do that, you know what they can do? They can walk away with a harder heart. Uh, look at Exodus chapter 10. And by the way, this is how truth works in your life today. Even after salvation, God's going to show you things. And if you go, yeah, 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 but, yeah, but, you can find yourself hardening your heart. Look at Exodus chapter 10, look at verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. Now, let's stop right there. Let's agree on this. God did, in fact, harden Pharaoh's heart. Can I get a witness? It says it right there. I have hardened his heart. But let me ask you a question. What led up to that? Go back to chapter 8. Go to Exodus chapter 8. You know what I've learned with God? He always gives you the first... Go ahead. You take the first move. I'm waiting. And then once you make that move, he goes, okay, here you go. Check. And you got nowhere to go. All right? Look at Exodus chapter 8 and look, if you would, at verse number 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, I guess is another way of saying that, uh, a rest, if you will, or easing of trouble, if you will, when Pharaoh saw this, he hardened his what? Who did that? God or Pharaoh? Pharaoh. All right, look at uh, Exodus 8, verse 32. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time 
also needed we let the people go. Who hardened their heart? Was it Pharaoh or was it God? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. All right, look if you would at Exodus chapter number 9. Exodus chapter 9, look at verse 34. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. You know what God saw? God gives this man room to repent and room to repent and room to repent and room to repent. And the man goes, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. Finally goes, you know what? If that's what you want, here you go. One of the worst things you could get as a Christian is God giving you what you want instead of what he wants for your life. All right, now, now I want you, the reason I'm showing you this is for a reason. Who hardened their heart first? It wasn't God that did it. It was Pharaoh. And then once Pharaoh made up his mind that this is where I'm going to go, no matter what, and even God himself can't stop me, God goes, okay. Do you see that? Now, the reason I, I point this out is because of this. Jesus, the, the Bible says in Revelation, whosoever will, let him come and take the water of life freely. It, it is not a matter of you not having a choice in this thing. But it is a matter of this. Once you come to a place, and I'm not going to stand here as a theologian and tell you, I know this spot for every sinner on the planet, but here's what I do know. I know there's a breaking point where some people just never recover. That much I know. You go, well, as long as they're breathing, there's still hope. They could make a choice. That's true. But man, I'll tell you this. When you harden your heart and harden your heart and harden your heart and harden your heart, I've stood up here and I've preached and I've watched Christians who I know are dealing with something in their life and they just stand like this during invitation okay, it isn't me, it's the Lord. You know that, right? I go home and sleep well at night. <laughs> I don't mean that to be mean. I'm just saying I, I, it's not me. It's you and God. And you know, it's a scary thing to come to church and hear the truth and hear the truth and hear the truth and hear the truth and then not do anything with it. You know why? Because your heart can get hard. And Pharaoh did exactly that. Why? Because whosoever will. That, that new birth brings about an adoption. Look at Romans 8 and we'll be done for the day. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we'll come back to this topic of the nature of the new birth and what it means to be a son of God. But Romans chapter 8, and the moment that you get saved, you receive a different spirit than the spirit of the world, which is why when you go out in the world and you try to do stuff you used to do, uh, someone recently shared with me, man, I got, uh, social media will give you these memories that pop up, you know what I'm talking about? And you'll get some memory from the old life and go, man, thank God I'm not in that anymore. Right? Uh, Look at Romans chapter number 8. And uh, look, if you would, at verse number... uh, We received the spirit uh, of adoption is what I'm looking for. I just lost it. I had it here a moment ago. Uh, Carly minded. No, that's not it. Where is it? Thank you, sir. Uh, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again of fear, but ye have received the spirit of what? Whereby we cry out, Father. The moment you get saved, you become a son of God because the spirit of God now resides inside of you. You receive that spirit of adoption. Now listen to me. We'll close with this thought. You, um, the moment you get saved, you experience the new birth and you are a son of God. The, only thing I, the one thing I will say is this. You have not received the fullness of that adoption, meaning you haven't gotten all the blessings of being a son of God. You will not experience all of that until we, our bodies are changed. 1 John chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll look at that more in depth next Sunday. Let's go ahead and stop right there for our Sunday school hour. I hope you guys got something out of John chapter 1. All right. Uh, some encouragement, some doctrine, some exhortation, if you will. Uh, let's all stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer. And uh